Ahoy, and welcome to the Open Journal Blogcast. Here we're going to be talking about mental health and all things related. That includes illness, wellness, stigma and support, and most importantly some of your very own personal stories. We're going to be covering projects, campaigns, education, starting conversations, and looking at some of the tools that support our well-being as well. I'm Mike, and while I'm being mindfully mindless, hopefully myself and my amazing guests will be able to show you you're not alone out there. These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. So I told everything and her face dropped. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so mm. they can't appreciate, yeah. It's difficult dealing with our minds. And the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. You're not depressed, it's, it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. And I think people realize how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. Not only did this help me to write it, mm. it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, and then they want to talk about it. Hello and welcome to the Open Journal Blogcast. That's right, it's our second episode, I think, with the with the new name. Um, so it's slightly revised to, I think, really just acknowledge the far wider reach now of, of the Open Journal material, I guess. I'm absolutely delighted to have had so many new guests uh, continuing to come onto the podcast, and it's been really ace, and I think for me it's uh, an opportunity to reflect that it isn't just my open journal anymore it's the open journal of so many people that are are coming on and sharing their stories and their experiences as well as their insights and yeah that's predominantly here on the podcast Um, but I'm also really pleased to have had a few opportunities to collaborate or also start to think about collaborating with some of the stuff on the blog although that's still going to remain very much my space um a separate word it's not the social media um but yeah so i think I, i'm really pleased with the with the new look and the slightly revised naming i think open journal really um kind of covers uh, focuses in on um what all of this is about really is is having those open and honest conversations and, and being able to share those um I think in an appropriate way is is yeah is really amazing um with that in mind i am delighted to to have another new guest for for this week's episode janetta is going to be joining us and we're going to be talking through a few things today's episode is one um that i want to mention in terms of the the type of content that we're going to be discussing we are talking about um crisis level conversations we are talking about suicide prevention suicidal thinking and conversations related to that um and janetta also shares some of her personal experience with regards to suicidal thoughts but also um loss of a loved one through suicide as well so i think it's a really important episode it's a really important conversation i hope you guys um 
maybe not enjoy this episode but i think are really able to resonate with the importance of the conversations that that we're having um and i think it's also really important to see some of the proactive work that people like Janetta are doing around suicide prevention and some of the conversations that are happening moving forward so i hope you're able to engage with this episode but i know for some of you um this might not be the best one to listen into um so i would suggest maybe jumping back to to last week's episode where we had mark on um and i know we've got a couple of good new guests coming up as well so look out for those new episodes but yes if you're happy to continue i hope you are please join me in welcoming janetta onto the podcast uh, and i hope you enjoy this week's episode it's nice to uh, to finally sit down and and have a conversation i think we've we've actually been talking over email for for a little while now so it's really nice to finally sit down how is how has your week or the last few days been for you well i've i've been likening myself to 16 tentacle octopus because <laughs> i'm running two very big projects at the moment and i'm inspired by them and now taken on a project manager which will make a huge difference but oh, just so yeah. inspired that's awesome i love when um when people talk about sort of more people coming in and joining the kind of the causes the projects and the campaign i just it's it's so difficult when it gets to that stage and you just you need that support and that help from somebody else and it's it can be a really hard thing to invite someone else in and to share that responsibility as well so how's how's that been kind of taking on someone else as part of that project yeah it's been an interesting one because um i i thought i'd just need a a pa and I didn't. And I've taken on somebody that I've worked with before on another project two years ago. Um, And that Mm. was the theatrical production on uh, depression, suicide and solutions. And we put on a two act theatrical production that uh, had contemporary dance and visuals and voiceover and and it was an amazing production it got invited oh, to be performed wow. in Europe mm. so she and I already have this amazing synergy so I'm basically doing cartwheels now oh that's awesome that you've got that connect and you're able to bring together that uh, I guess a, a, almost an existing relationship or an, a relationship from another project onto onto this that's really good to hear I think we've already started to kind of touch on we've mentioned these projects and different things um just to hear a little bit more about kind of who you are and and what you do in your usual kind of day-to-day life yes well I'm Janetta Barry and I'm CEO and founder of a process known as the epiphany process and I used to be a motivational speaker quite a few moons ago now And I was pretty good at it. Uh, And then I I noticed after a while that people would come back to me and say, you know, they'd go way fired up and come back saying, we need another dose of Janetta or another fix. And (laughs) and I I was their drug. Mm. And it bothered me tremendously that people had to artificially take my energy to feel all right, but because they weren't creating it or, or manufacturing it, they needed to come back and get more from me. And, and, and I, I could see I would end up being this guru followed around for generations, and I didn't want that. <laughs> so I took myself off for a little while and started working on my 
intuition, you know, that gut feeling stuff mm. that most CEOs say they couldn't do without. Yeah. And um, round about uh, the time that I was again getting to the point where I was going, you know, this isn't working because people are coming to me still and asking my intuitive reasoning instead of being able to trust their own. Mm. So I still felt out of integrity. And it was round about that time that I was re-questioning again that uh, one day I had an enormous argument with my daughter Jenny who was 16 at the time mm. and she very very angrily um, left the room and went out to her bedroom and started packing to leave home and I sensed something wasn't right and I went to find her and I found her hanging so you yeah, tough, tough, tough. You can imagine the fallout from it was enormous. And uh, yeah, I, I basically went to ground zero from that moment, lost my marriage, uh, a little bit later, even my home, uh, everything was finances, it was such a mess. And then knowing that this was a time to try and be there for the rest of the family, because I'm a mother of four. Mm. And I Catherine at home, uh, who was only 12. So it, it was beyond daunting to pick up the pieces and move on. And then, uh, gee, you know, about nine months prophetically, actually, it was nine months, I came across the basics of the process I now call the epiphany process. And mm -hmm. I began to realize that it, it really was helping me on certain levels, but it, it needs quite a lot of application and dedication, and I didn't have a genetic to help me <laughs> work it through. <laughs> didn't have somebody like me to work it through. So, uh, you know, on, in fact, on three occasions, I got to a point where I just knew I couldn't go on with the emotional pain and uh, anguish, you know, for all of us who have suffered from depression, mm -hmm. it's like a, a black hole, a lifetime prison sentence that you feel you're serving in your thoughts and your emotions. And you feel so isolated that nobody really understands how you feel. And on three occasions, I actually began to plan my suicide. And uh, it was after the third that I got kind of pulled out of my my plannings by a phone call from my brother that I went, what on earth am I doing? Mm. And I've got the process now. Now start walking the walk and talking the talk and do something with it and make it happen and, and create a legacy and a sense of meaning and... Uh, seeing the gift in what's happened and go from there. And that's where I've been ever since. Well, it's, it's such a, a difficult but important uh, conversation, I guess, to, to have and to be able to share that experience. I think um, having had previous conversations and reflecting on 
on uh, some of the awareness training and things like that that I've had in the past, knowing that that uh, effect after having a, a, a loved one that's taken their own life can have on on people. Um, but it's kind of, I feel like it's rarely spoken about. I guess it's a, a, another aspect that we have around mental health where we can talk about these things in a general sense. We can talk about it in terms of, uh, oh, this happens. But when... Um, when we meet people, when we hear the, the 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 real stories, I think that's when it really takes effect. And when you see, um, this is what does happen. This is what can happen after seeing, hearing, experiencing those things. Um, but really important to hear that um, there is that that kind of uh, double sided aspect to it. You you kind of mentioned the. Um, that negative side of, of having similar thoughts uh, and similar desires yourself, but also that side of inspiration to, to, to move forward and to support other people and to use some of those skills that you'd kind of mentioned having previously to this as well um, and utilizing them in maybe a different way, I guess, um, and having a slightly different approach to, to how you work in, who you're working with and why you're doing what you're doing. I don't know if that's fair to say. It is fair to say, but actually you touched on something that I'd mm. love to take a hop, skip mm. and jump back and then I'll come back to this. Yeah. Because some people might find this quite interesting because actually this wasn't Jenny's first attempt. It was her fourth. And she'd come mm. to me when she was 14 and said, um, I've been suicidal my whole life and not told anybody. And mm. everybody was astounded. I, I, I kind of knew that she'd been a very, very tricky child to bring up. But she even said she tried to, to strangle herself in front of the mirror when she was seven. Now, what I don't talk about that often, not because I don't want to, but usually the focus is on what happened with Jen and after that. Mm. But actually, um, my husband's family comes from a hectic line of suicide okay. uh, yeah and you know I studied it a lot after after Jenny did die going you know what is that how how does it jump into the next generation mm. or what and it it's very much a case of when suicide is is treated as something that's so taboo, it becomes that dirty little secret. Mm. And when when one's way of being and voice is silenced, it gets stuck inside there. And that is when it's almost like it morphs into the next generation from a place of guilt and shame. And mm. When I was able to look at that, I went, this, this was another reason why I stepped forward and said, the more that I talk openly about what happened, the more that that stuff comes to, to, to light, literally to the light, and, and has the chance to be spoken from a place of understanding rather than guilt and shame. And then... 
I, I did that. I, I say to everybody, my daughter, my daughter committed suicide. I don't even mince the words because some people go around saying, well, they killed themselves and committed suicide is such a difficult thing to say. It's like a criminal act. And, and I just say it as it is. And with even Catherine, my younger one, openly talking about it with her, uh, reasoning it through with her. My, my two eldest sons were gone and, and, and leading their own life by that time. But Catherine, mm. you know, it was not kind of like, don't talk to anybody about it and let's pretend that it happened, but we don't need to, to go any further with it. It was always there because it is a part of who we are now. Mm. And the greatest insight was the day that Catherine had to do in high school. She had to do in her secondary school um, a project on her most memorable day. And it was on a huge piece of paper. And on there she had written um, that her most memorable day was the day of her sister's memorial. Mm. And right there, now this, this huge project went on the school halls as you come in in the entrance of the school so it wasn't hidden behind a yeah. pillow she knew and there it was my 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 sister committed suicide it's like that's a fact and it's mm. how it is and and there's no sort of oh no i feel really strange that she did it it's talk talked about openly mm. and i that's what brings whatever happens like that into a place of of deeper understanding and even love i think you're right i think there's a big a big thing uh, uh, about making this uh an acceptable conversation to have it doesn't have to be a it doesn't have to be a happy one um but i think it has to be one that people understand need needs to happen more and there's um i, I think some of the, some of the people that i've spoken to in the past are, are less willing to have this conversation and um some of those experiences i think because they are uncomfortable about making mistakes about saying the wrong thing about not knowing what to say or feeling like they have to have the right answer um and i think there's a, a really I, I think there's a really valuable place in even just facilitating that discussion around, oh, what do you feel comfortable with? And, and is this something you could talk about? And then easing your way into it with some people, because I think you mentioned there the, the importance of, of language and speaking your own truth and, and um, using the words that you feel comfortable with. And I'm one of those people, I, I personally don't like the term commit suicide um and i don't like the imagery that that creates for me but i think there's a a really important place for um being willing to say if i've not had any of those experiences i've not experienced that um then i can still have a conversation i can still listen i can still learn i can still be part of that conversation and to hear obviously um your experience in, in your family's experience of um, being put in the situation where you are kind of not you're not having to talk about it but it is much more part of your life um, and that level of I guess personal growth of going no look this is something we all need to talk about we all need to be aware of um, and becoming I don't want I don't want to say 
comfortable, but you become more aware that this is something that that needs to be spoken about and, and accepting that. Yeah, absolutely. Because when you can sit in that place and look at it in its true light, that's when powerful conversations, mm. solutions, and um, where people feel at ease. Mm. You know, when I work with people who are feeling suicidal, one of the things that really comes to light is, you, you know how if you say to a toddler, you know that corner over there? You, you so can't go there. It's out of bounds. And I'm already what? over there. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. I mean, they can't help themselves. They're going, well, what is it about there that's so taboo? Yeah. And, yeah. and that is where I start with somebody who's dealing with with suicide and, and, and depression or depression and suicidal uh, tendencies because uh, when it's it's kind of like the place you're not allowed to go to there's a big kind of it's not an intrigue but it's certainly a want to know more about what that is and when that intrigue is taken out there's no longer the need to have to go there it's amazing what it does Mm. Well, Amazing. I, I, I think there's also again this is a slight um along the same lines but maybe facing a different direction of um I think there's part of not being comfortable or willing to have these kind of crisis level conversations with people um prevents a, a lot of um uh kind of, lower level symptom conversations or oh, I've noticed my friend seems a bit anxious or low or worried about something but I don't want to ask him or her because I'm, I'm worried they might say something that I'm not ready to deal with um, yeah. and it might just be do you know like it's it's been raining for a week and they haven't been able to go outside and they're used to being able to go in the garden or go for a walk or so it's not been a great week for them and that might be it but you're not having that conversation because you're worried or concerned it could go somewhere else. So I think there is a big role in going, we need to make many more people more comfortable or more willing to have these crisis level conversations so we can facilitate some of the, the kind of the symptom level conversations that might not be kind of crisis or even a diagnosable illness um, but those conversations aren't happening because we are worried about where it could go yeah I I, I think you're right and I uh, I've also noticed I mean I actually do have two types of client that uh, come across uh, and approach me mm -hmm. and uh, in in what I've seen and done and expanded with, I've seen that the, the well, the, first of all, the one that um, can present itself is the one that's comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm. And that's the person that is in a lot of pain, but there's something in that pain that's serving them. Mm. So it could be that, um, it could be that they get a lot of endorsement 
or a lot of people run around when they start saying I'm in deep pain or it, somehow they get an endorsement that they matter mm. and that they're loved and lovable. And so to let go of the pattern that they, they're in, the, the deep, painful, emotional pattern is quite difficult to do because mm. it feels like as though they've got as much to lose as to gain in letting go of that little dance. So the client that comes to me in a place of what I call being uncomfortable, being uncomfortable, that's the that's the person that goes, I can't take another minute of being like this. Not one one minute more. I have to find a place and a space to 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 live a normal life again. This is not an option. I got there. Um, after Jenny died and went, I'm not going to live this hell on earth anymore. And so they're prepared to work through whatever it is that is required to, and as I said earlier, I walked that walk and talked that talk really very deeply and they're prepared to do it too. And what has inspired me so much, Mike, is that now that uh, I've worked with a lot of people, they're now, in fact, I've just done a video uh, a video success story with Larissa. I mean, Larissa was bulimic and had tried to take her, her life several times. And she has worked this process and uh, is living a, a, a balanced life because of it and uses the skills and techniques that the process provides. And what's wonderful with that is that it's inspiring the people who are feeling stuck in their little dance in, in that place where it feels uncomfortable to, or it's too comfortable to move out of that uncomfortableness. They're starting to say, well, if she can do it, I can do it. And so I'm noticing that more and more people who would be where you were describing, which is, you know, just uh, feeling down and uh, they're yeah. now want to be labeled and they don't want to mm. be, they're now sitting there going, wow, well, if that can happen, I'd like to try and do it. And I've noticed the conversations are becoming more and more open and less and less judgmental and people are finding they don't need to hold their cards against their chest quite so much and i think you you pick up on a really good point uh, on a couple of really good points on that side of we are really i, would, I don't know about starting i think we're a little bit past that but we are starting to see that shift or well, we have been seeing that shift into um, kind of mental health and mental health illnesses being more acceptable to talk about socially. Um, I, I still I still think it is a little bit more of a, we can talk about this in a general sense, but I don't want to talk about myself. Um, I, but we are getting there. And I think it's really interesting there that you mentioned um personal sto personal stories i think are are the thing that that really give people um 
that level of acknowledgement that that yes this is a real thing that you might be struggling with no you're not the only person yes there is support out there and yes it's okay to feel like this at times um i think that that's where in my mind kind of the, the personal story side really trumps any kind of generic information about health about kind of mental health in particular um it's it's people talking about that it's people talking about their experience about what they have been through in a positive or a negative or something in between um and i I think that's a a really important um acknowledgement to give people but also an encouragement for them to then kind of step forward and to share their experience whether that is just with family or with a gp or um some form of specialist or just even just with themselves just to be honest and go this is something i am struggling with um i think is one big thing um and then another i think again similar to you i'm going to jump back a little bit um when you were talking about kind of those two different types of people that you see um and i think for a long time i think there was that side of I wouldn't say it was validation for me, but I think um, when I really struggled, I would get into the process where I kind of have that um, crisis moment. Um, And I think for me, having the experience of Mm. um, kind of uh, fitting or wanting to self-harm was very much about uh, this. These are these are the emotions that I can't process that I something isn't right inside but this crisis moment is allowing those to come out um and i think there is a big thing for me around the the education that we don't have about how our body works about how some things can build up um and i think so often we're left to just just you just get on with your life and then if there's a problem then try and access some support rather than being proactive rather than having people like yourself sharing their experience and their knowledge um encouraging people to be educated on on all aspects of health and be aware that you may experience this it's not just something that one in however many people experience you in your lifetime will likely experience some of this it's on a scale you might be on the lower end but you are going to experience some of this. Um, and I think that approach then facilitates a lot of these other things that we're talking about in terms of the conversation, the willingness to come forward and access support. Um, but yeah, so th- those were the kind of the two things that popped up in my mind as you were mentioning some of those things. Yeah, it's back to the fact that when the conversation is open to to discuss like we're doing now, I mean, this forum forum of yours is marvellous because it gives the opportunity for people to hear what is comfortable for you and I to talk about. Mm. And then if they're comfortable, then it's not quite so much a whatever feeling for you. Yeah, it's it is that side, isn't it? I think of yeah. for me, obviously, elements of this that um, that people can sit, listen, and part of this conversation, and hopefully go away and feel like, oh, because Mike and Jeanette were able to sit down and have this conversation, maybe I can sit down with someone else. And there have been, like I said, a couple of times with the the language side, we've got different opinions on that, 
and that's totally okay i think for me it's the issue when someone says no this is this is the way you talk about this this is the way (laughs) it's like okay no that's that again that's my view that isn't the case the case is we all have our own preferences and you have to be you have to be um you should be um willing to get myself tied up in knots you should be willing to accept that other people will have their own preferences and theirs probably won't be the same as yours um and that isn't the purpose of our conversation it's not the language side we've got different opinions on that and that's totally okay i think for me it's the issue when someone says no this is this is the way you talk about this this is the way (laughs) it's like okay no that's that again that's my view that isn't the case the case is we all have our own preferences and you have to be you have to be um you should be um willing to get myself tied off in knots you should be willing to accept that other people will have their own preferences and there's probably won't be the same as yours um and that isn't the purpose of our conversation is not to sit down and go do you know what let's decide what is the correct phrasing or language no the purpose of our conversation is to sit down and share stories create that connection raise a sense of uh awareness or education or acknowledgement or validation for for people that might be experiencing this or for people that might have a friend or a family member that might be experiencing this or just to gain that bit of confidence to go do you know what actually yeah do you know what i listened to this and they sound like idiots and they could do it so why can't i (laughs) i'm i'm willing to be an idiot too (laughs) (laughs) as soon as i said that i thought i can say that about myself i don't know if i should say it about a guest own idiot I mean it is one of the things that I love about about the process I work because we tend to judge our negative human traits as being unacceptable and that they should really be they should really be eliminated and when you start working the sets of questions that this process works it opens up to understanding how a human trait is a human trait, whether it's negative or positive, and they're part of who we are. And when we can start understanding that there is as much value in our negative side of who we are, as much as that negative side also doesn't serve, it also equally does. And the same on the other side of the spectrum, as much as uh, our positive thoughts serve, they, they equally have a downside. And when that happens, um it it's why i call this the epiphany process because on a conscious and an unconscious level a form of self-acceptance kicks in in a nanosecond i have people saying gee i've just had an epiphany moment this is like a a a a feeling of lightness and almost seeing the light and suddenly all these judgments about what I ought to and should do and have to and my reaction should be, it, it disappears as, as one steps into being more accepting of self and others. And I have my clients saying to me that they start having more um, authentic conversations and they're less worried about 
treading on eggshells as they speak because they're speaking from a place of the heart, not from judgment or fear. Mm. And it's amazing the level of very powerful conversation that starts coming out when people are speaking open-hearted conversations. Mm. It blows me. And then you haven't got people trying to be politically correct and minding their P's and Q's. You've got people openly sharing and maybe agreeing to disagree, but there's mm. no... no um, there's no what can I say, charge to it. It's like, yes, yeah, yeah I get you. I get what you're saying and I understand it and I appreciate it. And, and then the other person who's worked it as well goes, yeah, I get it. And there's this sense of acceptance, which is just quite amazing, really. Mm-hmm. And that makes such a difference when you have conversations that are are open-hearted like that and it's really difficult to explain to anybody who hasn't done it but <laughs> all, all the people who work sit there going wow and, and you can even see it in i've got some more um testimonials coming through but you can see it as larissa's talking she's just speaking from the heart it's not worried about what other people think say or do and she used to just about die with social media. It's another one of her testimonials. She was checking her phone every two minutes and what other people thought. It's huge. And now she doesn't even have her phone with her half the time because she know, it no longer matters what other people think, say or do uh, to the point that it controls her. And that's, that's a very powerful place to step into. And I think it's really interesting to to pick up on there because you're starting to talk about um, obviously some of the service work that you do and really interesting to hear about that impact that it can have for people um, as well. And it's not it's not always an obvious link as well. I think it's not just about those people that are experiencing um, kind of, I don't know, obvious um, diagnosable illnesses. These are also things that people experience maybe character traits maybe symptoms um and i like that example of you sort of talking about kind of the phone usage as well of um really making having these conversations accessing services an acceptable thing for people to do um it's not just about i'll leave it until you're in a crisis it is encouraging people to to use services to get involved with campaigns and to talk to people a little bit more um and kind of along that guys um it'd be interesting to hear about uh, a little bit more about some of the work that you do because i know we mentioned at the beginning a couple of different projects as, as well as your kind of um work within that that crisis and, and support field yes Well, yes i'm very inspired with this i i have to say and the reason being is that when Neil, my second oldest son, and I took Jen's ashes to the edge of the reef on the coast off Mombasa and spread her ashes over the reef, I, I stood there vowing that something meaningful had to come out of this great tragedy. It just had to. 
And I actually thought two years ago, writing and creating Insight, the, that, that theatrical production was it. And it, I, I mean, it was huge. And it, I had to go through Jen's writings to create that. So that's another project I'll talk about just now. Mm. But uh, the interesting thing is there's, there's no coincidences with this daughter of mine. She, she, it's so interesting. But she died on the 10th of October. And uh, only a few years later did I realize that actually 10th of October is World Mental Health Day. And I've been wanting to do something meaningful with that, that synergy for some time. And this year has been the year for that. And so the very first of many to come uh, we've got press kits and uh, a, a really a very powerful press uh, kit going out to all the top TV circuits and radio and, and, mm. and journalists. So it's going to go out there quite big, as we call that day, Jenny's Day. And uh, we're going to have a summit. It's on the 10th of the 10th, so it's 10 2020 and so we're a lot of to... number synergy there <laughs> let, let me tell you i've written a book on all of that as well with jenny and this uh, and number synergies that have has come to light but so we've decided that we would uh, start at 10 in the morning and go on the 10th right through to 10 at night with a, a jenny's day summit and we're going to um uh, have obviously interviews and talks and then on the other side, a lighter side, we're going to have like a little, I, I call it like a, a video magazine program where um, people will be talking about unusual hobbies and pastimes that are really great, out of the box, unique um, mental health wellness pastimes to take on mm -hmm. so an example is I don't know if you've ever heard have you heard of Feldenkrais I don't think so I want to it feels like it's uh, yeah no I don't think so not not enough to be confident no yes well I, I don't know enough of it to sound like an authority but I know enough <laughs> <laughs> that um, Feldenkrais is a wonderful way to exercise on a very subtle level. So it's like doing yoga with your body and your sensory. So it, they're very tiny movements. And so as you're moving, you're sensing your body, the floor, whatever it is you're doing. And it's very sensory as well. So that you're really connected to your body, your environment, and uh, what's going on inside your body and what's connecting and interconnecting with your body. And it's it's the most amazing way to relax because it's, it's not quite meditation and it's not quite exercise. It's amazing. So it'll be, be items like that that we will be that will be represented on that day in between talks and and interviews and uh next year will be a really 
big bigger version even bigger version of that and it's that's because all these numbers we were talking about mm-hmm. um, are going to be in huge synergy so i'm really inspired about all of this it's just amazing it's really it's really interesting to hear that that inclusion of a lot of different things as well and i um i can only imagine a 10 to 10 program that's you are yeah busy and <laughs> Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. I am. Uh, uh, <laughs> <it's, laughs> I had to take on a project manager. <laughs> At the very least, an assistant. <laughs> um, but that really wasn't even enough. So she's taking over all the major sites so that I can step in and be what is required for that. So now the other, I mean, I am using, I am dealing with another project that mm-hmm. is to do with uh, helping people new to the to the process to to settle in more easily, and and it's a it sounds like it's nothing, but it's actually a very very big project to work through before it gets launched. But I I made mention earlier of insight mm-hmm. and. Um, I mean, some people might find this interesting. I talk about the synergies with Jen. You know, science says energy can't be created or destroyed. It it forms into new versions of itself. So when Jen died, I went, well, then where is my daughter? Where is she? If she's not in this form, what form is she in? And I started chronicling uh those coincidences, if you want to put that in inverted commas, um, and uh, and incidences, which which kind of were like, wow, that is so interesting, and uh, the timing on things is one of the big things where something happens at at an exact time that it it's very clear that they're connected, so. Uh, I am a, a trained ballet dancer, and um, even though I'm in my 60s, I still dance. And I uh, was involved in a, a show. I grew up, by the way, in Nairobi, Kenya. I actually am a, a white African. <laughs> and um, I'd been invited back in Nairobi to to perform in a show at the National Theatre there, which is a theatre I'd grown up in. and. Interestingly enough, I had last performed in when I was 16. And of course, Jenny was 16 when she died. And I always know when there's something going on with with these numbers, there are a whole load of numbers, that something's going down. So I walked into the theater going, okay, I was 16, Jenny was 16, let's see if anything comes out of this. And the end of the show, the stage crew were striking the set and playing music. And uh, a very good friend of mine and I were crossing the stage to join the cast upstairs in the bar for a drink. And as we were halfway across the stage, one song that I had to play to death after Jenny died because she used to play it to death. So I played it so much that I just about threw the, the, the disc out the window. I got so sick of it. <laughs> but I hadn't heard of it for years. And and that was um, my immortal Evanescences, my immortal. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and it started playing and I stopped and I said to this friend, my word, this was Jen's favorite, favorite song. And as we cross the stage, it starts playing. So she says to me, wow, it's such a powerful song. It would choreograph so beautifully. So we get upstairs and I say to the resident choreographer, wow, this has just happened. And he just looked at me and he said, we've got to do a production on suicide and solutions. And that will be the theme song. Mm. And it was an incredible journey because I had to, I found myself, to access Jen's writings by, not by design, I found myself on a remote farm with no internet and no car for two days. As I sat down and read through all her journaling, mm. I mean, a lot of it was a lot of hatred towards me mm. because, you know, when you're 16, in normal times, your mother's a pretty ghastly person. But when you're in, in depression mm. and and so on, you know, it, it, it's heightened. Mm. So it was a tough, tough journey. And I was taking bits and pieces of what she'd written, bits and pieces of what I'd written when I had, had hit rock bottom. I'd never known depression like this before, after I lost her. And uh, we put together this amazing, amazing production. And people who didn't understand depression was going, you know, you've just got to be positive and brush yourself down. They were walking out going, oh my gosh, I have so much more understanding and insight as to what a person's feeling. We had a family one night who came where granny in her 70s came along as well. And so there was father uh, and, and children and granny. Mm. And they were in the car going home and they were saying it's so nice to be able to talk depression and suicide so openly and feel comfortable about it after this production. Mm -hmm. And this little voice from the back of the car went, now I feel safe enough to tell you all I'm 75 and I have suffered secretly with depression all my life. And they all went, Nan! And that that's the thing is when the more people that step forward mm. in that truth and the light of what actually is happening, the more empowering conversations can begin. And of course, people who were there who were suffering from depression were sitting there going, "Yes, I'm being heard. I'm being understood. This is amazing." So the next thing after Jenny's day and once theatre's back to some sort of new normal, mm. our plan is to get uh, this, both Jenny's day and Insight is going to be part of the Epiphany Processes charity arm. And we're going to get Insight out there uh, internationally as a franchise production. So more and more people are talking depression, suicide, and solutions, mm -hmm. more and more, openly and feeling comfortable about it, and it's not that taboo subject. That's awesome to hear. I think I was, I think the end of, somewhere last year, I remember I, I saw a, a theatre performance that touched on uh well, the focus was mental health and then it kind of touched on suicide as part of that. 
and that was the first thing I've ever seen that kind of had that focus so when you were talking through and I was like I just I know there's I mean to be fair I'm not a big theatre person um but yeah I've never seen anything even kind of remotely approach topics like mental health in in that aspect it's always kind of been I think the pieces that I've seen it's felt very much like a oh we've included it because we've got a character at the back that has <laughs> like okay yeah but it's, it's not your focus is it you've acknowledged it's that person is there and, and that's a thing but it's not really your focus um and I think there is a really really important place to, and that story that you just told the the ability to bring I think I must make the assumption that theatre is predominantly families um but it's there to bring families together to facilitate that conversation and um be if it is an excuse be be an excuse to have have that conversation um and I think that there there is I mean it's not the main point here but there is a real importance maybe to mention that with some older generations we do have a lot more barriers and a lot more stigma to talking about mental health and actually places like the theatre are intergenerational do facilitate those discussions do prompt that um as a conversation piece and that they can be involved in that they can hear and see um kind of younger members of their family engaged in this and willing to talk about it um and hopefully not disparagingly and so that makes it acceptable for them to say actually i have um, yeah. And it might be that they're experiencing at the time, but in some, probably in my opinion, a lot of cases, it's going to be historic. It's going to be something that they've experienced 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. And their image of mental health is people being put in straitjackets and locked up. And so that's not something we talk about or want to talk about. Um, yeah. And I think, yeah, that that again, it's not the focus of of the project that you're mentioning but i think there is a real importance to to set that intergenerational work is is so important um and reaches way more people than we will ever think or know um that it is reaching um and i think that's a a big thing for some of those they're almost it's a community project isn't it that wide reach so really interesting to hear hear that and hopefully that as you mentioned hopefully we um we hopefully things in the world i guess improve and we're able to facilitate a, a little bit more in terms of attending theater productions um reinvent it i don't know yeah. it, it is my next one because it's too important to just allow to slide so it's yes. it's my next piece of focus because I have to share as we we draw to a close with this I'm at this point where I now have a certification program and people are learning this amazing process and I've I've not come across anything quite so accurate and uh, foolproof really Um, and that next generation is getting ready so that I can hand the baton over and and leave a very precious legacy. And as I draw that last breath, go, this is what it was all about. And I wouldn't have changed it for anything. 
mm-hmm. and uh, that's where that's where I sit now with with all that's coming together in the most um, painfully beautiful way. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, on on that, it's been really interesting, really lovely to sit down and and talk to you and hear some of your experiences and some of the amazing work that you're doing and will be doing. Um, if people want to kind of go away and maybe find out a little bit more about the Epiphany process, about some of the other projects that you're involved with as well, are there particular places, websites or social media that they can go to to, to find out about yourself? Yes, there is. Um, Facebook, there's quite a strong presence. There's Janetta Barry and the Epiphany Process page on Facebook. Um and of course we've just set up a Jenny's Day page as well. And then there is the website. It, it's uh theepiphanyprocess.com. Um but there's there's quite a lot going if if you Google it, there's quite a lot that comes up as well for the Epiphany process. Mm-hmm. So um we've got quite a um a deep social mm-hmm. media presence. That's really good. I I, I did wonder, because I, I think we were talking about halfway through and you mentioned a lot of the um, kind of support and interest externally to what you're doing. So I'm sure um, there is that kind of wider reading uh, available as well. So but yeah, it's been really interesting to to hear a bit more. Um, and thank you so much for for sharing your experience and, and being open to having you've had a fairly open conversation um so it's yeah it's been really great thank you so much for for coming on and sharing well mike i just have to give you a huge shout out because what you're doing in this forum is is just amazing and i want to thank you for inviting me and having me it's just been uh so meaningful so thank you These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. So I told everything and her face dropped. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so they can appreciate, yeah. It's difficult dealing with our minds, and the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. You're not depressed, it's, it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. And I think people realize how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. Not only did this help me to write it, Mm. it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, And then they want to talk about it.